Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. How you doing? Good, good. If you're watching this online, we're so glad that you joined us. Um, you feel that? You didn't feel that? Uh, while you feel like if you're sitting down, you feel like you're sitting down, you're sitting still, I don't know if you knew this, but we are spinning around at a rate of a 1,000 miles per hour right now, and we are also hurtling through space, revolving around a fireball at 67,000 miles per hour. Right now. Does it feel like that? No. Uh, but because we revolve around the sun, uh, we have... Energy and heat and what we need for life to be sustained. There's these things that called like photosynthesis and that happens because we have the sun and it's really good because if we didn't have the sun, if we revolved around like Pluto or something, it wouldn't be good. We revolved around Neptune. It wouldn't be good. If we revolved around not a fireball, it would not be good. Uh, anybody uh, ever wanted to become like you want to become a world traveler? Like if you could have uh, here's the scenario, okay? If you had a year where you had unlimited amount of money, uh, everyone's signing up already, but if you had one, li- one year and a limited amount of money and you had all the time to go wherever you would want, would anyone like to go on that trip? Anybody? No? So, some of you who wouldn't, I'm, I'm not sure why. But anyway, um, yeah, I don't know if you knew this, but every year, even if you don't feel like you uh, are traveling, uh, we actually, every year, travel about 584 million miles every year. 584 million. So take a selfie, start an Instagram account, take some selfies, let people know that you are a universe traveler. That's fun, right? The reason I bring that up is this. What our lives revolve around impacts our lives. What our life revolves around, what we're centered on, anchored to, impacts our lives. Uh, A lot of times, like some of us, we have our lives revolve around uh, people's opinions of us. And instead of living a life of freedom and uh, security in our identity, we end up living enslaved to everybody else's opinions of us. Uh, Some of us, we instead of revolving around what we should revolve around, we revolve around our achievements uh, and our accomplishments. And I don't know about you, but that's that's this is a struggle for me. Uh, because every time I do something, accomplish something, I'm on to the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. And so I have a hard time celebrating and keeping myself not fixated on the accomplishment or the goal. But uh, if, if you live that way, it, we run the risk of uh, living a life where we are always chasing the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing, and we're enslaved to our own activity, instead of living in freedom in Jesus, who says, hey, you are not what you do, but you are uh, your value value in life is because of what I've done for you and because of what I've said about you. Uh, there, there are all kinds of things that we could revolve around. Some of us, we revolve around our possessions and the things we've acquired. And that impacts us to where we are enslaved to those things that we've worked so hard for and are so happy that we have, but we're actually enslaved to them instead of living in freedom in Jesus. Uh, today, what I'm going to propose to you is that we ought to live as Christ-centered people. If we follow Jesus, then we are centered on, we revolve around Jesus, and that impacts the way we live. Today we're starting a new series called We Are. Uh, and the, the kind of idea with the series is that we're going to go through five big ideas, five core ideas or core convictions or, uh, if you will, core core values for us as a church 
That our mission is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And the way we go about that is to, to latch onto these core ideas, these core values for us as a church. So the first thing is that we are Christ-centered. We are centered on Christ. We are not centered on power or prosperity. We are not centered on anything in this world other than Jesus. And if you live that way, then we get to experience the life, the fullness of what God would have for us. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 3. We will get there in a minute. But when Jesus came down, when God the Son came down to dwell with us, uh, one translation, the message version says, God moved into our neighborhood. Isn't that cool? God moved into our neighborhood. You're like, hey neighbor, what's happening? Jesus came and, and he uh, started to call a group of people to become his followers, his disciples, his apostles. And as he is living life, like he's teaching people, he's doing miracles, he's calling uh, people to become healed from their sickness, uh, from, from para- para- paralysis. Uh, he's healing people from the dead and they're coming back to life. There's all kinds of crazy stuff happening. And Jesus is living this perfect life. He never sinned, not once. And these, these guys are following him, walking with him and they're seeing him do all of this and they saw him as whenever you hear the word messiah or christ that means king that's a different word for king the deliverer and that and the jews they were under roman oppression in the first century and so they were an occupied state Rome was there and they were oppressing them. They were under Roman rule. And what they wanted was for someone to come in, the Messiah, the Christ, the King, to come in, defeat the Romans, and so that Israel could become uh, back to the, the point of prosperity that they were when they were under King David, the guy who killed Goliath. And, and so that's what they desired, and that's what Jesus' disciples desired. But every time they would be like, yeah, Jesus, you are the king, he would tell them, hey, uh, by the way, I'm going to be heading to Jerusalem here in a minute, and uh, I'm going to suffer and die and then rise again. Have you ever had anybody in your life who, like, no matter if you told them like 17 times the same thing, oh, like explicitly, you said exactly what you wanted to say, and you meant what you said, that they just didn't get it? You ever had, like, like maybe with your kids, like you just, like they didn't get it? Teenagers with your parents, like they just didn't get it, you know? Like, you can laugh, it's fine. Uh, anybody, uh, husband or with your wife, your husband, spouses, anybody. Maybe the, the, the problem is we're all those people who didn't get it, right? We're a little dense, a little dense. But uh, Jesus told them explicitly, hey, I'm going to go and, to, and I'm going to die. And I'm going to rise again. And Peter, uh, being the kind of guy he is, he, he rebuked Jesus. By the way, it's not a good idea to rebuke Jesus. Okay, y'all tracking with me? Amen, amen. Uh, again, y'all can talk back. It's okay. You can open your mouth in church. It's fine. Um, so he, he says, hey, Jesus, no, you're not going to do that. I'm going to save you, man. I got your back. I'm rolling till, till we die. I'm good. I'm with you. I'm, I got your back. And, and Jesus looks at him and says, hey, uh, by the way, uh, before, before the, like, this is right before Jesus gets arrested, uh, you're going to deny me three times before morning time. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter, this, this man of boldness, uh, on the night that Jesus gets arrested because he got betrayed by Judas, one of his apostles, um, he, Jesus gets arrested and then Peter, because he's fearful of what might happen to him, if anyone finds out that he's been with Jesus, he's been rolling with Jesus, he's in with Jesus, then he starts denying him. Uh, there's this little girl, right? Like this little girl comes up and is like, hey, you, you look like 
one of Jesus's homeboys. Uh, and he's like, no, man, it's not me. It's not me. He's like scared of this little girl because of what might happen to him. And then that night uh, on Friday, Jesus is crucified. The next day he's crucified. And Peter and the rest of the apostles are hiding because they are scared. They are afraid for their lives. So Friday happens. Jesus dies. And they, and they bury him right before Sabbath. And then they, they start Sabbath at 5 p.m. And this is like a time when they're supposed to not work. They're not supposed to do anything. Anybody ever been in a situation where you can't control what it is, so you try to go control everything else? So you go, like, clean the house. You, you yell at the kids. You know? Like, you try and do everything you can to stay in control of something. Like, for some of us, the last seven months have been that. We've been trying to stay in control of something. In the midst of a world that is out of control. Right? And so, can you imagine, like, being the disciples? They thought he was going to deliver them. They thought that he was going to defeat the Romans. And he's dead. The guy that they followed day in, day out. The guy that they put their hope in, he's dead. He's dead. And so they're sitting there, and they're in hiding, y'all. Saturday is a long day for them. And then Sunday comes, the ladies go out, and they're going to anoint Jesus' body because they didn't have time on Friday because of the Sabbath. And so they're going to anoint him, and they find an empty tomb because Jesus is now risen from the dead. He's not there. And Jesus starts to appear to them for 40 days. He's showing himself to like 500 people. And and he tells the disciples, hey, uh, this is right before he's about to ascend to the throne of God uh, in heaven. He says, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses. I've been training you for this. And then he says, well, you got to wait, though. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and you're going to know exactly what to do at that point. So Jesus ascends, and he's sitting there as the enthroned King of kings, Lord of lords. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples, and Peter, the man who was scared, hiding, worried about being arrested, worried about being killed because of his association, association with Jesus, begins to preach a sermon to the masses. To the masses. And he tells them, hey, the guy you guys crucified, he was the Messiah. He was the one you should have been looking for. He is the king. And the people responded. And 3,000 people repented and were baptized. As a preacher, that'd be an amazing sermon, y'all. Amen. 3,000 people repented and were baptized. Oh, my goodness. Put that in the archives. i got to preach that one again. Amen. <laughs> And so Peter preaches a sermon and then the church comes together and they start living among each other. They start sharing uh, possessions and food. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and they're living life. And we're going to talk about that next week with how we're better together. We are better together. Um, but, but they start doing that. And then later, uh, Peter and John are walking into the temple one day and there's a man who's lame. Like he can't walk. He's never walked. He's there begging at the temple door and he's asking people for money. And he comes up to Peter and John and he asks them for money. And they're like, bro, I ain't got no money. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up. And so this dude starts walking around. So Acts 3, 19, uh, after he is risen up, like this guy couldn't walk. Like y'all really, like he really healed him. They really healed him. And he goes into the temple. He's praising God. He's jumping up and down. I don't know. He might have moonwalked into the temple. He was excited, y'all. And people are like, hold up. What's going on? So they go to Peter and John. They're like, what's going on? What's happening? And then Peter says this. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. He preaches the same message. Jesus is the king. Repent. 
Your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. And then he says, uh, it goes on in verse 26, he says, God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. So he preaches Jesus. Hey, he came to turn each of you from your evil ways. He he came, so repent and turn to him. Repent just means change your mind and go to God. And so after this, like... I don't know if it was like one of those things in the temple where uh, everybody was listening to Peter preach instead of the Pharisees preach. So the Pharisees got upset because they weren't being listened to. But all the religious leaders came over to Peter and John and they arrested them. And they put them in what's called the Sanhedrin in court, the religious court. And they start to question them like, hey, by what power did y'all heal this man? And Peter, again, he was the guy who was denying that he was with Jesus because he was afraid He starts preaching to them. He says, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved other than Jesus. He's the only one. He is your source of your hope. He's where you need to go. And they're like, man, these guys are unschooled, ordinary men. These guys ain't got nothing going on for them. They don't have no special degrees, no cool letters at the end of their names. They ain't got nothing going on. They ain't go to Harvard or anything. These guys are unschooled, ordinary men. And yet they were amazed at their boldness because they saw that they are people who had been with Jesus. Wouldn't it be good to be like somebody who when they look at you, they're like, man, that's an ordinary person because we're all ordinary. But that man, they had been with Jesus. Wouldn't that be good for someone to say that? About you. Amen. And so, uh, they're, the, the guys, the, the, the religious court, they're like, man, what should we do with these guys? Cause everybody saw them heal this person. What should we do? And like, man, we can't, we can't arrest them. We can't keep them because everyone would know that we're just like suppressing what could have been from God. And they're like, hey, just don't, you, we're gonna let you go, but don't preach Jesus anymore. And Peter's bold as ever. He's like, hey, I, should I listen to you or God? I, I don't know. I'm gonna listen to God. And so what causes a man to go from deathly afraid for his life to deny Jesus to then uh, uh, just a month and a half later preaching Jesus, not caring, getting arrested for it and saying, hey, you can kill me. I don't care. I'm going to preach Jesus anyway. What happens between that? If, if you ever come into contact with someone, lovingly express them who, who if they don't believe in Jesus or don't, don't kind of like are not sure about it. This is a point that cannot be missed. The apostles did not preach Jesus or, or give their lives for him because of what they believed. They gave their lives to him and for him because of what they saw and what they knew to be true. They were witnesses of a man who died and was dead, but then rose again from the grave and called them to follow him. This is not something that was just believed upon because this cool person was charismatic and he was a cool prophet. This is not that. Jesus is the only one who guarantees, hey, I am the source of forgiveness for you. I am the source of salvation for you. And the, the whole Christian faith is, is hinging on a truth that was falsifiable. Someone could have proven it to be untrue. But these men followed him, not because of what they believed, but because of what they knew. And here today, 2,000 years later, in Indiana, we are worshiping the same king who rose from the grave in Jerusalem. Isn't that the good news? And so then uh, time goes on. And, and let, let me just say this. Peter had a transformation because his hope changed. 
He was fearful of man, so his hope was founded in people. And if you want your hope to be in Jesus, your hope has to beyond, has to be beyond this world. And so his hope went from man to his hope being in Jesus, and that made all the difference. That made all the difference. Uh, earlier this week, I was, uh, I got done with a book, and uh, I was going on to Goodreads. Anybody familiar with Goodreads? Anybody like, uh, by the way, anybody like, you hear that? Isn't that cool? He's not impressed with the sermon. He's <laughs> like, whatever, dude. Uh, so I went on Goodreads, okay, to update my book, okay, uh, that I read. And like, you know, because it's like a way to keep track of what you read. It's for nerds, okay? It's fine. It's fine. If you're a nerd, fist bump. Uh, it's all good. So I went on there to update it, and Goodreads is also something where you can like leave ratings and reviews, like, oh, I like this book, or I didn't like this book, and here's what I have to say about the book. And uh, as I got updated my book, or, or, or the book I read, I was scrolling on the page, and I saw one of my books that I wrote, and I saw that it had some new ratings and reviews. In that moment, y'all, I had a wrestling in my soul on where my hope would be, because for an author to check the reviews and ratings of their book, it's a dangerous thing. Because I'm going to go on here, because it don't matter how good of a book you write, there's going to be somebody somewhere who's like, this dude is stupid. This, this book is terrible. Terrible. And and so, like, I was having a inner wrestling. Like, should I should I click it? Not Brandon's fine, man. Your hope is in Jesus and not in what people's opinions is. Uh, so it's fine. Like, you just, you open it. It's fine. And so I was like, okay, I'll click. And so I clicked it, and I scrolled down. And you know, you know what didn't stick out to me? It wasn't the five-star reviews. It wasn't the four-star reviews, like, out of five. It it, it was starting to be, like, the, the trigger was, like, the three-star reviews and that one two-star review. Like, then I'm like, oh, I'm a terrible person. This Oh, why did I even write this book? It's horrible. People don't like it. It's terrible. I shouldn't have done it. And then I'm like, hold up, man. Pump the brakes. Your hope is not in people. It's a dangerous thing. So this is a thing that each day, in moments, we have an opportunity. We have a wrestling with whether we're going to put our hope in Jesus or in our hope in something else. And that was like me on Thursday. And I'm like, should I ruin my whole day when I'm usually going to write a sermon? Uh, like, cause that could have in the years past, like totally wrecked me for the rest of the day. Like, how dare that person who doesn't know me, uh, say that about something I wrote, right? Like, but it's fine. It's all good. It's all good in the hood, you know? Like, be, be nice to authors, y'all. Just, okay? Like, put all that work into it. And I know it could have been better. I totally know it could have been better. But anyway, I did it. So, yeah. In their face. Did they write a book? <laughs> that was arrogant. That was not nice. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So he, Jesus, is our hope. And he is the hope of the world. So, like, if we are Christ-centered as a church, then what that should do for us is that should give us a perspective on how we live our lives. Because Jesus was the one who, who did he spend time with? Who did Jesus spend time with? He spent time with the people that the religious people wouldn't have spent time with, didn't spend time with, didn't want to go around. Like, he was up at the bar with the people, like, you know, he go. He went to those places for, for like, for you, like, if it's a place that you're like, oh, if anybody from the church finds out that I was here, who it's going to be, you know, all over town. That's where Jesus went because those were the people who needed a doctor, right? Like he's, he's going to those people. And so what should that do for us? It should tell us that our evangelism, our openness to other people, our love for other people should go to people, nothing like us. 
Why? Because Jesus loved us and he's nothing like us. He's perfect and we're imperfect. And we go to those people who are like us and unlike us and we love them with the love of Jesus and we give ourselves compassion toward other people. We have a call and that is to spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so are we willing to go to the places that make us uncomfortable so that they could be comforted by Jesus? And so that's what we're called to do, church. Imagine if we're Christ-centered. Imagine if people, when they, when they saw you and they knew that you're a part of FCC, wow, what if that Christ-centeredness was, was something that characterized you and thereby characterizing this church? Let us never revolve around anything other than Christ. Not whatever opinion you've got about the state of the world and the state. Hey, the world is he- heading to hell in a handbasket and it's always been that way, okay? It's always been that way. And so are we going to anchor to whatever thing is going on right now? Or are we going to anchor to Jesus who is going to keep us sure and secure through every storm, through every trial, through every fire, through every pandemic, through every riot? He's going to be there with us, holding on to us each and every day. Is that where we're going to have our hope? I hope so. Because we are Christ-centered. So time goes on. In the church, and, and they're preaching, and they're, they're sharing life together, and they are loving each other, and they're loving the community, and, and they, they have no religious freedom, so they're doing all this under, uh, under, under the radar, and they're loving people, and they're calling people to Jesus, and one day, uh, some Jews, some prominent Jews get word about what's happening, and they're like, hey, we need to do something about this. We need to make sure we're sticking up for God in this moment. And so uh, this man named Saul, uh, was, he was a Pharisee, and he was like super zealous after God, like super devoted to him, super devoted to the law. Like he was like, he had it going on, y'all. He was smart. He was, he was uh, good as a good person could be. And he starts organizing these these people to come, and, and he was an accessory to beatings and imper- uh, being in prison, like people taking Christians and putting them in prison, and even murdering people. Like, that's what these Jews started to do, because they saw these Christians as doing something against God. And so Saul is a part of this conspiracy against these Christians, and one day he's walking to a place, and Jesus blinds him, calls him, to surrender to him. And in that moment, Saul realized that the person he was fighting, he thought he was fighting for God, but then he realized that he was fighting against God. That's a bad day. Like if you really had it twisted that much, right? And so Saul is called to surrender to Jesus and he does. He surrenders and is baptized into Jesus. And then he gets a new name named Paul. So he got not, no longer Saul, but now he's Paul. And this, this man who was a murderer becomes a Christ-centered missionary and church planter. And he wrote, much of the New Testament. And this is what he tells uh, the church in uh, Philippi uh, about his own kind of like focus in life. And he's trying to get them to understand what life with Christ is all about. So Philippians chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 7, he, he's just gotten done talking about how awesome he was as a Jew. He's like, hey, if you want to be like trying to measure yourself based on how you keep the law, I was better. If you want to measure yourself based on people's standards, I did better, I accomplished more. But then he says this, verse 7. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Everything he gained, he gained a lot. And he considered it all to be a loss. 
because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything I've got in view, in in comparison to that, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, he's considered it all a loss. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Do you capture his heart in that? His desire, his goal was to know Christ. Everything else he had accomplished didn't matter in comparison to knowing Christ as his Lord. Just before this, in in that same letter, uh, he says this in, in chapter 1, verse 20. He says, My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, For, for me, for me to live as Christ... And to die is gain. Like imagine having that kind of mindset. Everything is lost. I, I want to just honor Jesus in my body. Wherever I go, I'm honoring Jesus. You know, like in, in certain moments in our lives when we're in certain circles of people and spheres where, where a lot of people don't follow Jesus, we're tempted to kind of blend in and cater to their, their views and we start acting a different way because we know it's not for what, what Jesus would want, but it's too uncomfortable for us to stick out because we're not participating in that because it would dishonor Jesus. But a lot of times we just kind of go with the flow, right? Adults and teens, all of us, we deal with that. All of us. And and he says, hey, I'm not going to be ashamed of anything because I know Jesus and he's everything to me. He goes on, verse 27, he says, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Isn't that a beautiful thing when the church is unified? Like when you got a, a group of people rolling with you and y'all are on the same page and we're going after something. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. So Paul saying, hey, knowing Christ is the goal. Christ is your life. He's the source. He is your king. I think what Paul's doing and what really all of scripture's doing is giving us... Uh, you know, like the first day at a new job orientation, uh, like if you had some kind of like, you know, a bigger company had like an HR department and they did this whole thing, right? Like you getting all acclimated with, with the new, new place, right? What are they trying to accomplish? They're trying to tell you what this is all about. What are we, what are we about here at this company? What are we trying to do? Here's how you fit into that, right? It's like the most exhilarating day of your life, right? Amen. Amen. First day of school, right? You got some new teachers, uh, and, and they're like, Hey, this is, this is how things are going to be in my class. I'm going to treat y'all like adults. And you're like, what? No. Don't do that. I need you to remind me about my homework, man. I don't want to do that. But anyway, like setting the tone. Like this is what to expect. This is what we're about. This is what we're going to do. Or it's the first day of practice with a new coach. He's like, hey, guys, 
Get around here. Come over here. This is what we're going to be at, be about. This is how we're going to do things. This is how we're going to walk. This is how we're going to talk. This is going to be our scheme. This is what we're going to be doing. This is the way you're going to uphold your life. This is how you are going to be because you are a part of this team. And we are unified and we are a part of this. What scripture, I believe, is a gift to the church so that we would understand what we're supposed to be about. In a world that has so many distractions, so many things that could get you distracted and, and get you off course, he's saying, hey, this is what it's all about. It's about Jesus. So focus on Jesus. Live like Jesus did. Show yourself to be for him each and every day. And he's going to give you the strength to do it. So this is about Jesus. This is not about power or prosperity. It's about him. And Paul says this, the last uh, passage I'll read to you, uh, Colossians chapter 3. Paul says this to a different church. And he says this, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So if you've been raised with him, focus on that stuff. Don't get so caught up in what's going on in this world. Focus on what he's saying in verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What does it mean to do something, everything in the name of Jesus? What does it mean to do anything in the name of Jesus? Is it like jacking someone in the mouth and saying, that's in the name of Jesus? Right? Does that work? I said it. In the name of Jesus. Right? Just boom. No, that's not how it works. Right? If you're going to do something in the name of Jesus, you do something that honors Jesus. Right? It's the same way when we pray. You, you can't just like pray for all these selfish things and be like, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. When you pray in the name of Jesus, you're praying for things that would honor him. That's what it means to do everything in the name of Jesus. So if we do everything in the name of Jesus, then we should be about what he was about, right? Should be focused on what he's about. Do honor him in everything that we do. Why? Because he is the king and he's worthy to be honored, right? Everything that we do should be in the name of Jesus. And if, if it's something that you want to do, it's not in the name of Jesus, then don't do that thing. Don't do that thing. Don't just go around punching people in the face, okay? It's, it's good advice, okay? If you remember anything, just remember that, okay? So, so Paul is telling us, hey, seek him. Do everything in his name. You see how everything is centered on Christ. Everything that we do. Church, we are Christ-centered. Christ is our king. Our purpose is to glorify him and make disciples of his. Our desire is to know him and be shaped by him. Our hope is in him alone. The struggle is real, but, but at the end of the day, we will not be duped for a lesser hope. We will not be bowing our knees to any other king. Our lives will not revolve around the enemy. We know his schemes and we know his power, but we also know the one who is victorious over him, the overcomer, Jesus of Nazareth. We are Christ-centered in both our theology and in our practice. Everything we believe and everything we do revolves around who Jesus is and who he is calling us to be. We listen to the Holy Spirit so that we can know the direction and guidance that he wants to give us, molding us into the image of our king. We are reminded of the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We love like Jesus loved us. Our heart for evangelism, our compassion for the hurting, the way we make disciples, it's all modeled after Jesus Christ. In a world that is passing away, we have put all the chips at the center of the table. We've gone all in for Jesus because he's the hand that will never fail. All our eggs are in his basket. We've bet the farm on him. Christ is our life. He is our motive. He is our goal. He is our hope. 
Everything. Jesus is everything. We boldly love people with the love of Jesus. We don't believe the lies that our love is only meant for those who love us back. We sacrifice for others. We shower mercy on others. We forgive. Our home revolves around Him. Our kids know that Jesus loves them because we've taught them and shown them that He does. Our marriages are centered on Him. Our friends are loved by us like He loves us. Our decisions are guided by Him. We do not live for the applause of the people or the acquisition of material. We revolve around our King, Jesus Christ, the Overcomer Church. We are Christ-centered. That's what we have to be. We have to be about Him every single day. We live in a world, we live in a time that is going to encourage us to get off the track. Make no mistake, nothing in life is worth living for more than Jesus. Jesus is everything. Give him your life. Can you imagine, like, what if we were Christ-centered? We have a lot more people in this room and on this feed than, than Jesus had in his corner when he ascended to the throne in heaven. He changed the world with 11 ordinary dudes. That's it. 11 who were focused on Jesus with everything, who were willing to die for him, who were willing to fight for him, who were willing to proclaim Jesus to everyone, no matter what they would do to him or say to them. He was, they, they, were, they were just called to be about him. What if we could just be those kinds of people where we are just revolving around Christ, where we love people like he loves us, where we are not being duped into being divisive with other people. What if we were loving people because then we would be the light of the world in the midst of a dark world? We will be the salt of the earth when we, everything looking around us looks like it's going bad. What what if we were just simply Christ-centered? The best thing that you can do for this country, the best thing that you can do for this world, the best thing you can do for your family, the best thing you can do for your friends, the best thing you can do for your spouse, the best thing you can do for this, anyone, is to be Christ-centered. It's to be about Him. You know, when I first started the ministry, I was a youth pastor. And so working with teens, I started to see this, this, this statistic that basically more kids who grow up in church and become high schoolers and then graduate, more of them leave the church than stay in the church. And it, it just blew my mind that that would be the case. Cause I didn't grow up in church. And I was like, man, why would you, why would you leave? Like, why, why would that be like that kind of a, kind of a home should be like, wholesome and like a sanctuary where you can talk about the stuff, talk about the struggles and you can, you can like live your faith out in front of your kids. Like why would that happen? Well, if you do a little bit more digging into the statistics, it shows that the vast majority of kids who grew up in the church and then leave were living in a home that was only Sunday centric, was only Jesus for one hour out of the week. It was like, Hey, let's go to church. And then we ain't going to talk about it ever at all. We're not gonna, we're not gonna pray together. We're gonna read the Bible together. We're not gonna, we're not actually like disciple our kids. We're not gonna even talk about it because we're not there either. And it like just blew my mind. It's like, all it takes, y'all, all it takes to lead generations into a life change and never grow in a relationship with Jesus is to be changed by Jesus, just to live it out. To, to care, to, to disciple your kids, to like pray to them. I think it's such a blessing right now. It's such a blessing. It, it's terrible. But it's a blessing too that in 2020, the primary disciple makers for kids are their parents right now. Not, not, not the, the Sunday school teacher, not the children's pastor, not somebody else. We can't just 
here, here, student pastor, you take that, take them, bring them up in Jesus one hour a week. No, like we have to do it. We as parents have to do it. And I don't know if you've seen it, but like I, I videotaped like one, one day of my family doing a family devotional. It was chaos. Horrible. Like I don't even know if the kids heard like three words, but they heard one word and that was Jesus. And, and I don't know about you, but if we're going to be Christ-centered, then what would it look like to be Christ-centered individually in our home, like in our habits? Like if someone looked at you and like followed you around, like would they say, hey, you're Christ-centered. Like you are, it's everything about Jesus. This is not to be condemning. If you're not there, that's fine. Jesus meets us where we are and he takes us where beyond where we ever thought we could go. Right? We don't, we don't live for Jesus. We aren't centered on Christ uh, because we're trying to earn a salvation. He's already given us that. If you surrender to Jesus, you've already got it. But because we have been called to join him in his work, we have been forgiven for something. A mission. A calling to be more like him today than we were yesterday. And so like, like, are you spending time with him? It's a, it's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do. Uh, do your kids see you struggle? Do you, do you let them know, hey, I'm struggling with this? That's okay. It's only true. It's only real. For grandkids, like, are they seeing you disciple them? Are our homes, like, imagine our homes was Christ-centered. It'd be a sanctuary where, where people can, everyone can bring their stuff. What did people do with Jesus? They shared their hearts, everything, because they were welcomed to do it. And they, when they did it, they didn't receive condemnation. They received forgiveness and love. Imagine if our homes were Christ-centered. Whatever that looks like for you. Or if the sanctuary of our home was a sanctuary for his glory. In your sphere, like at school, at church, in your community group, in your community, like where you go to work. Like what if people could see that you are really centered on Christ? You're not just playing it. You don't just go to church on Sunday and for an hour or you watch it on, on, on Facebook or YouTube. But you're really about it. Really about it. Church, I, I, Jesus changed the world with 11 people. Imagine what he could do with us. Little old us. Ordinary, but centered on and revolving around an extraordinary God. It's possible for all of us. So let me just give you a real quick practical thing. Maybe to get you in the right direction. Our first core step in our discipleship pathway. Things that we want to encourage you to do. Steps to take to grow in your relationship with God. The first step is to read the Bible. To read the Bible. I know, like, wow, that's revolutionary, Brandon. It is if you read it. For as much of us that believe everything we read, you know, what if we just start reading the Bible? <laughs> I saw a meme about that. If you, believe, if you believe everything you read on the internet, why don't you start reading the Bible? <laughs> It'd be helpful, right? Uh, that was funny. I thought it was funny. Anyway, um, it had been there, I guess. But... Spend time with him. Like, start listening to him and then praying to him. Because I know if you start reading the Bible, you start praying. If you start praying, you start listening to the Holy Spirit. If you start listening to the Holy Spirit, you'll start living the way God wants you to live and and doing the things he wants you to do because you'll start to be sensitive to how he nudges you in moments where you can give hope to someone who is hopeless, where you can love someone who feels unlovable. Uh, We're called to be that, church. We're called to be Christ-centered. And so I encourage you, like, just give that a shot. Like, the more we can listen to the Holy Spirit throughout our day and 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 obey him. It's a struggle, y'all. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. But the more we can do that, the more people will see that in the midst of this world that is passing away, there is hope. 
And it's not just hope, just for a couple times a week or, or whatever. It's hope for eternity. And it's found in Jesus Christ. So let us be about him and him alone. Church, would you stand? We're going to sing and we're going to pray. Father, we come to you thanking you for the fact that you are the God who you are. You are loving, you are gracious, you are merciful, you are just, you are righteous, and you sent Jesus to this earth so that we could receive redemption. God, would you please invade us, every crevice of us. Holy Spirit, would you come in and, and open up those those doors that we have closed off to you, those crevices that we don't want you to go to, those places that we've not surrendered to you. God, would you invade our emotions? Would you invade our will? Would you invade every piece of our lives, our finances, our decisions, our our relationships? God, would you invade those things? Help us to, to become more like you, Jesus, each and every day. Help us to be surrendered to you each day, just being open to what you want to do in us. Whether you use us or not, may we be people who are surrendered to you regardless. Whether we suffer or we experience victory, whether we, whether we suffer and deal with hardship or we deal with such peace and blessing, God, would you please guard our hearts and help us to follow and trust you each and every day. God, make us to be your, your people who are centered on Jesus. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Church, you said, amen.